it's like we were thrown into this activism uh, because at the end of the day, when we do take off these jerseys, when we're not playing basketball, I mean, we are majority black women in this league. We're really starting to see a shift and a movement in, in women's sports and the value that we have as female athletes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Powering Up, our cross-generational, cross-cultural conversation about leadership, power, gender, and social justice. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Dana Harvey, co-host for what we like to describe as compelling conversations with leaders who aren't afraid to stir up a little good trouble. Oh, can you hear my deep sigh of relief, Dana? Yes, yes, yes. I hear, I hear. I'm with you, Anne. Yeah, we are recording this episode, uh, let's see, just before noon on Friday, November 6th, 2020, just a few hours after the vote counting in the U.S. election made it quite clear that Joe Biden is going to be our next president. Now, I know it's not official yet, but uh, there is no question the dangerous, destructive, divisive Donald Trump era is finally coming to an end. And it's hard to believe that it's actually coming. Um, but I think I'm also extremely excited about the fact that we may have, no, we will have, I'm calling it, our first woman and woman of color to become the vice president of the United States with Kamala Harris. This is, it's, it's monumental. It's exciting. It is so exciting. I'm about to haul out the champagne. But you know what? I have been working literally for weeks to try to line up our next two guests. Both are WNBA basketball players and bold, courageous leaders. And I, I really am thrilled that it turned out that they are able to be with us at this really historic moment, Dana, because they've both been in the thick of the fight for the soul of our country. Absolutely. And months ago, WNBA players decided collectively to dedicate the 2020 season to the Black Lives Matter movement. And multiple times over the past few months, they've used their voices and their platform to protest police violence against African Americans. Elizabeth Williams is a 6'3 center and power forward with the Atlanta Dream. Originally from England, she's a graduate of Duke University and an officer in the WNBA Players Association. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And six foot four inch Natalie Achanwa is a forward for the Indiana Fever, a Canadian who has competed all over the world. Natalie played for the legendary coach uh, Muffet McGraw at the University of Notre Dame. And welcome, Natalie. Hey, Anna, Dana, thank you for having me today. Hey, let's just start out. How are the two of you feeling? Uh, Elizabeth, I know you're back home in the U.S. right now. Natalie, you're over in Italy. How are you feeling? Uh, I think first I'm feeling proud to be a Georgia voter. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like I've played some some role in, in some, some stuff that's happened. So, um, yeah, just really excited. Obviously, these past couple of days have been really nerve-wracking, but... Uh, but, but proud, I think. That was a big flip for Georgia. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for that word. Georgia, come through. <laughs> <laughs> and Natalie, what's happening? How are you feeling over in Italy there? What's happening over there? 
You know, it's been an emotional roller coaster, especially with this time change. I go to bed trying to force myself to go to sleep and then wake up to amazing surprises like states flipping blue. So I am excited to see when the decision finally gets put 100% in force that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be our next chiefs of the U.S., yeah, so we have so much to talk about, but, um, you know, the WNBA just finished its season uh, with the Seattle Storm sweeping the Las Vegas Aces, but really the biggest story of the season was the wave of collective activism by the players in support of the Black Lives Matter. Um, I'm sure you're both proud of the actions that you took. Um, what were some of the most important moments uh, of these past few months uh, where there were several um, terrible incidents that uh, you took actions about? I think uh, the overall biggest piece of this summer or this season that we can look at is the collective unity that we showed as players in unifying our voices, unifying our individual platforms, um, and unifying the message that enough is enough, um, that not only will we educate, share a message and talk the talk, but we'll actually walk the walk in our communities um, and that we uh, will be instrumental in change. And you can see this with the runoff in Georgia. Um, he was just talking about being a proud Georgian voter and I am proud of you <laughs> and proud of those that um, took this summer as an opportunity to uh, speak out and to um, put our backing behind Reverend Warnock in uh, hopefully flipping uh, this seat. Yeah, well, why don't you explain that a little bit, Elizabeth, because um, you know one of your owners of the Atlanta Dream is a US Senator, Republican US Senator, and um, he, here, and she actually opposed uh, the stand that the players were taking. Yeah, we were in a, a really interesting position as, as players of the dream, but um, I think kind of like Natalie said, a lot of the success in this movement has be, been because of our unity. And so our success in you know supporting Reverend Warnock and seeing his momentum just continue to grow throughout the election season was a, in a big part because the entire league kind of backed around this candidate and around our team. Um, so I think it was, it was really important that we talked about Black Lives Matter and we found a candidate that supports Black Lives Matter that just so happened to be in this, this specific seat. For uh, our listeners who maybe didn't follow the WNBA this season or some of the actions that you took, you took a number of specific steps. Would you mention a couple of those? Yeah, so we had jerseys with Brown and Taylor's name on the back of them. Um, our, all of our warm-up shirts said Black Lives Matter. A good majority of us wore these Vote Warnock t-shirts walking into our, our, first our first nationally televised game on ESPN. Um, so yeah, just a number of things. Um, in playoffs, the teams wore shirts that just said vote. So uh, yeah, we had a lot of different opportunities to get our messages out in a really unique way this year. How did you both feel making um, those stands? I mean, I know that the the um, decisions were probably organic, but it probably felt like you had to be authentic in those moments to be able to say, we are going to represent, we're going to speak our voices. There is no longer 
shut up and dribble. We are actively and, and, and vocally engaged. How did you both feel stepping up? I know Elizabeth, you made the announcement at that game. Um, you're in the moment. How does it feel raising your voices? It's again, like a feeling of pride. Uh, again, a feeling of knowing that this is bigger than just us. And so for me, speaking on speaking on behalf of the players, it was just, it was like second nature. We, we've been doing this work. Um, we had this statement made and it was important to, again, get our message out there that we're supporting this movement, that we're supporting a movement of unity and we're just gonna continue to do this work. And to bounce off of E a little bit, it's like we were thrown into this activism uh, because at the end of the day, when we do take off these jerseys, when we're not playing basketball, I mean, we are majority black women in this league. Um, we are daughters and sisters. And when we see unjust killing of black men in the US, of black women, we can resonate it with it because it could be me, could be my brother, could be my boyfriend. Um, it's that continued trauma that we experience um, being black women, first and foremost, um, because your job doesn't matter, how much money you don't make doesn't matter um, when you're seen in society as a black person. You know, and one of the issues, uh, you know, we have seen other um, women professional athletes, I mean, the USA soccer, uh, USA hockey, before that, I mean, starting to work collectively and leverage their power and their platforms in terms of a lot of uh, gender inequities. And, and sports is a really powerful place to do that. What else are you working on within the WNBA to achieve equity, uh, appropriate equity at this moment as the WNBA builds its business model and its fan base? Well, we've most recently signed a new uh, CBA, a new collective bargaining agreement. And so a lot of uh, the improvements that we're, we've started to see in you know, salary and uh, health and safety and player experience, like all of that has come from signing this new CBA with our league. Um, and I think in addition to us seeing, you know, like you said, hockey, seeing the women's national team go through some of their negotiations, we're really starting to see a shift and a movement in, in women's sports and the value that we have as female athletes. Natalie, you have anything to add to that? I was just thinking after this Woba season and I just spoke with somebody that was uh, in Ireland and saying oh, the games were on TV here for the first time. And I think that uh -huh. is something that has been a common factor in all women's sports is the availability and access to watch us, to buy merch, uh, to be able to see firsthand us as athletes. And I think that's why this summer has been huge in the increase in our following in viewership is because people finally had the opportunity to see us. Um, and let that be because of the timing of the season, let that be because of the message, um, whatever it is, people are watching us. And I think it's important to continue that putting women's sports on TV um, because you cannot fall in love with something if you can't see it or access it. Absolutely, absolutely. And following on that elevated um, vision and the perspective that people have with you all being more visible because of your activism within the WNBA, um, are there any projects that you're working on outside of um, your professional realms that could also benefit from this increased visibility? 
I think Natalie, you have some programs that you're working on personally, correct? Yeah, as a result of winning uh, the Don Staley Community Leadership Award earlier this year, I was awarded a $10,000 grant. And with partnership with a local organization in uh, Indianapolis, where I live, the Madam Walker Legacy Center, we've created a grant program. Um, I actually had a call with them yesterday where we're finalizing uh, four women, um, Black women, that will win a $2,500 grant. And it was a focus of mine, like I said, not only to talk the talk, to be able to walk the walk and, and hopefully make some change in my community and making sure I wasn't just giving away this money. I wanted to help women help themselves and focusing on female entrepreneurs and, and providing capital, which is obviously in the black community, something difficult to access. I'm hoping that I can help their businesses um, thrive, uh, grow, and for women to be able to own something their own. We are all about, obviously, social justice, and um, but also about leadership. And so I'm really interested in hearing from each of you about um, maybe uh, sharing a moment or a person who was significant along your path in terms of your own development as a leader. Would you share something? Yeah, personally for me, uh, during my college years was a huge growth period for me. And having someone like Coach McGraw to learn from, um, who was a leader of our team, the coach of our team, and um, someone that's been huge in my life, be somebody that is unapologetically them, um, has been the biggest lead by example I have ever had in my life, um, in giving me the confidence to stand tall in who I am, um, because she is bold, because she speaks her mind, because she is who she is, and doesn't care what people think. And I think that has been a huge confidence builder for me um, and a huge step in how and why I use my platform the way I do now. Um, and I was very fortunate for the four years I spent uh, as a player and even our continued relationship today uh, because she's been someone that's been a huge leader for me. The legendary Moffat McGraw. Right. <laughs> Multiple championships. I mean, powerhouse. I mean, she built powerhouse teams and she built powerhouse women. Yeah, for me, it's actually been my girlfriend. She um, it's kind of similar in the sense that she's somebody who's like really bold, really outspoken, um, not afraid to speak her mind because I'm, I'm usually the like low key, don't want to stir up any trouble. And so having somebody like that encouraging me like, when we're in Atlanta, like, hey, like, why don't you go out and protest, like, really make your voice heard. Um, and so I think she's just been someone who's encouraged me to kind of find my voice in all of this. It's been said over and over again, but I don't think we can say it enough how much playing sports as a girl uh, develops you not only athletically, but your ability to work and lead a team and how that translates into what you do after after you leave the league. Um, I've got a young daughter and she's been in sports and, and it's something that I, I, I haven't experienced. So I love to see that evolution. Um, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, how important that is to have sports as the segue into a successful life just in general? For me, I mean, sports has been a huge, if not the biggest factor in discovering who I am, uh, especially being 
biracial in growing up and, and not necessarily feeling like I belonged on the white side of my family or feeling like I belonged on the black side of my family in a big identity crisis period of my life, basketball and being a basketball player gave me somewhere I felt like I belonged, somewhere where it didn't matter what I looked like, that I was judged by my ability to put a ball in a hoop. And I think that um, strength that I got um, in feeling like I belonged allowed me to search internally and figure out who I wanted to be. And um, I've always said this in, in doesn't have to be basketball. It doesn't have to be one sport, but I think young girls and young boys being in athletics creates stronger people, um, creates people that think differently, that challenge each other, that are leaders, that uh, never quit. And I think there's so many things you can learn from being in sports that I always encourage kids to, to try any sport, regardless of what it is. Yeah, and I think being around different people, people that think differently from you, that look differently from you, that act differently from you. I think that's another way that you start to understand what leadership can look like. And you start to understand that, hey, I might have to talk to this person differently than this other person. Um, but at the end of the day, we have a common goal. And so I think there's kind of this evolution that starts even from a really young age that you don't realize that you've interacted with so many different types of people um, and that as you get older, you start to understand them more and, and you're more tolerant and accepting. Um, and I think that's a really powerful part of sports for sure. And, you know, following up on that, both of you have played overseas as well in, in, in multiple different cultures. Um, what have you learned from that experience? Yeah, exactly what he said in the fact that People think differently, um, people were raised differently, uh, people live in different cultures with different people that don't look like them. And I think being able to travel and to experience um, different cultures, once again, has been huge in the way I think, in the way that I act, in the way that I treat other people. Um, and knowing that uh, not everyone has the same experiences or not everyone views life at the same lens that you do. And uh, being able to use sport as a tool to navigate that has been huge for me. I think even when you think about religion, you know, playing in Turkey, you have a lot of players that, you know, are Muslim um, as opposed to other places where you might have more players that are Christian and or if you're a Christian. And so you have to kind of, again, blend and mix and understand um, despite, again, differences in the lens that you see life through, you're still there for the same reason and you're still there for the same goal. Um, and at the end of the day, you really aren't that different. Uh, so it's, it's a really cool experience playing overseas in that sense too. And unifying in a sense that you have this common purpose or this common goal of playing basketball, winning the game, winning a championship, mm -hmm. and that you can come together with people that look nothing like you or that worship a different God or that have experienced something completely different, but that you can come together and unify for a common uh, purpose, a common goal. Um, and that once again, who you are doesn't necessarily matter, but you're judged on your ability to do something. Wouldn't that be nice if the entire United States of America could take on that same philosophy? Wouldn't it be nice if the entire world could <laughs> <Literally. laughs> 
I was just thinking about that. Boy, do we need to come together. We do. We do. But it has to be an even playing field. That's that's the thing. Like once again, like all lives can't matter unless black lives matter. It, it's it's the dismantling of systems that start other people further ahead than others. Um, and that as long as we once again continue to do our part, work on our own houses, work on our own families, work on who we can touch in this vicinity of you um, that's how you tackle the world is is one person at a time one call at a time one podcast at a time one listener <laughs> at a time. <laughs> there are so many different pockets of places and industries and realms that we have to continue to fight um, and one of them I understand that you all have been um, sharing your voice in that regarding equal pay um, for you know women in in these professions you know, what's your insight on, you know, where we are and, and what are you saying to, to those in leadership in terms of what do we need to do to be equal? We've got some ways to go, but I will say it's, it's like what I touched on earlier with negotiating this new CBA. A lot of the language in it was driven in that it would be kind of a starting point for future CBAs. Specifically with, with the WNBA, there's this misconception that we want to be paid hundreds and millions of dollars when in reality, it's just like, hey, we just want our fair share. You know, we're, we're doing the same amount of work. We're working just as hard. We're just as committed to the game. We're just as committed to empowering our youth and doing all these things. Um, but we just want, again, a level and equal playing field. Yeah, we need the investment. We need the investment of putting us on TV. We need the investment into marketing. We need the investment to building a platform. Our league is still young and comparing, continuously comparing us to the NBA or, or men's sports leagues is unfair to the unique product that we offer um, in that I think you need to bet on women, that you need to invest in women and uh, to make sure that you are celebrating and putting your money where your mouth is. Uh, I think you can see the rise in support, the rise in viewership from this summer, from us being on TV. You can see the spread of the orange hoodie because product was available. Um, I mean, for little girls, you can't be what you cannot see. So you gotta put us on TV. <laughs> you gotta give us the merch. You gotta give us the opportunity to show that our product is wanted and needed. You know, as a pre-Title IX tomboy, as they used to call girls way back then who liked to play sports and was out there playing football with the boys until my mom told me those boys can't be grabbing you like that anymore. Uh, uh, and also as a journalist, you know, as, as a television sports uh, journalist in this country in the late 1970s and the 80s, um, watching. I mean, I covered those first little girls who fought their way onto the little, onto the um, little league teams, you know, and, um, you know, were forced by male coaches sometimes to wear athletic cups if they wanted to play baseball with the boys. And I know, I mean, you're like shaking your head, but I mean, I witnessed all that. I saw girls who walked onto their high school uh, track team yelled at and screamed at by mothers and fathers and told them to go back, get off the track because they were afraid it would destroy their son's egos if the girl happened to beat them in the race. And so it's been a joy for me 
to watch the incredible growth of women's sports and the talent and the skills of athletes such as the two of you. And, um, and I, I wanna ask you, um, what is your advice perhaps for the next generation of girls who are coming up uh, and maybe parents who are, are raising their girls and their boys? I think to never settle. Uh, like you talked about a little bit earlier with this whole negotiation on the CBA, we got continuous message of be happy you have a league or, or that you get paid to play basketball. And I think that in, is the message in itself in that we are always thankful and grateful for the fact that we have the WNBA, that we have a league in North America, that we have the best league in the world but we're not content with it. We want to continue to challenge the status quo. Like our president, Neko Gumake said during this whole, the whole CBA negotiation is that, yes, we're thankful, but we deserve more. We put in the work, we put in the time. Um, and like you mentioned, we stand on the shoulders of giants. So stand on our shoulders, stand on the CBA that uh, was recently negotiated and continue to push for more um, because it's deserved because the work and the time is put in um, that it's deserved. That was well said. I, I kind of want to end on that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I always think about like when I was growing up playing sports and anytime I had the chance to watch any professional sport, whether it was WNBA, whether it was soccer, you know, um, it's always inspiring when you can see it. So I would encourage parents if they can get their kids out to a game to get them out to a game. I, I don't think... I think like some of my best memories are actually watching things live or, you know, like feeling like I'm part of it because I knew that growing up, there was a chance that I could do that too. So um, just give, give people the opportunity to see this stuff. It's, it's really powerful. What do both of you all have planned moving forward? You know, what's next for you? Reflecting on, you know, the amount of voter registration we had, even reflecting on the fact that we got over 90% of our league to be registered to vote. Mm. I think a lot of what's going to happen moving forward is going to be like, okay, what did we do <clears throat> really well this past year um, that we can, you know, use moving forward. So I think, especially just with the way things are going on these, these couple of days, we're just going to take that and then learn from it and then decide what moving forward looks like. We need more black women in front office. We need black women as coaches. We need black women as head coaches. Uh, you have ample talent available in these recruitment for these positions. I mean, I could think of plenty of alum that have played in the WNBA that have the knowledge and the understanding of what it takes to fill these roles. So we need more. I, never gonna settle. Um, yes, we've made great strides. Yes, we dedicated to a, a, this summer to Black Lives Matter and say her name, but it's bigger than just a black square and it's bigger than just talking about it. We need to put people in these positions that look like us. So I'm excited to see what next summer brings. I know there's a couple jobs that are up and I can't wait to see the black women that will rock those positions. And Black Women Rising. Uh, we have yes. a new organization in Detroit that they're calling themselves that. And there is no question that the power of Black women have been uh, the, the, the tip of the spear in what has happened 
in this election. So thank you so much, WNBA professional athletes, social justice leaders, Elizabeth Williams and Natalie Achanwa for being with us. And, and thank you for all you are both doing as, uh, as role models and also for very strong voices uh, for uh, women to go for it and never to settle uh, and how to raise your voices to make a difference in the world. I don't think it can be said enough how important that is, um, you know, that these uh, young leaders are, you know, working actively um, and passionately towards these issues that matter to us. And um, the young girls are watching. So I want to also personally thank both of you for, for stepping up and being so visible and so vocal. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having us on today and continuing to amplify our voices and uh, sharing the message that matters so much to us. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great. God bless America. <laughs> I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Dana Harvey. And thank you to our Robin Kinney and her Motor City Woman Studio here in Detroit for producing Powering Up. And let's all go power, power up. up. Power up. Thanks for joining us at Powering Up. We hope you'll subscribe and share us with your network. And Dana and I would love to hear from you through LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. And remember, power is the currency for getting things done. Claim yours and put it to work. <laughs>